0: Welcome to my Soul Life Podcast. This is my playground and I'm your host, Susan Scullin. I believe that we can live a life we love every day. To do this, we have to go on a journey to uncover who we are on every layer. Join me each Monday for conversations about following our soul's calling and embodying what lights us up so we can become even more amazing people. And then later in the week, I'll be back with our Soul Live Conversations, where we open up and explore who we truly are to become authentically us. Be inspired. A quick reminder for you that all the information shared in this podcast is my experience and the experience of my guest. It's not medical or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and I'd encourage you to seek professional advice where needed. Today I'm chatting with Crystal, also known as the Parenting Coach. Crystal is a down-to-earth mum who was struggling with raising her kids and had the aha moment that maybe she was struggling with what her kids were struggling with. And when she started to make changes, she noticed that her kids were also changing. So she continued to do the work on herself and the transformation has been life-changing. Now it's not all unicorns and rainbows, that's not how life happens, but she's having more fun than she was before and who here wants to have more fun in their lives? Do you know, I'm up for that. Crystal, the parenting coach, is a Canadian homeschooling mother of four and a certified professional life coach. She combines connection-based parenting philosophies with the how-to, life coaching tools to help amazing parents find even more success in their parent-child relationships. When she's not loving up on her kids and her clients, she loves to read, travel, and spend time outdoors. There's so much in this podcast episode so grab out a paper and pen, tune into Crystal's story and write down everything that resonates with you and that you could try. Crystal and I would love to hear what you took away from this episode so head over to my website susanscolan.com or instagram my.soul.life.podcast and tell us and you can reach out to Crystal via the show notes for this episode on my website too. See you inside. Welcome, Crystal. It's great to be here with you and having this conversation. So thank you for being here today.
1: Thanks, Susan. I'm excited to be here.
0: <laughs> I'm excited to have you. So let's um, start off by asking, well, I'm going to ask you, what's one thing that's bringing you the most joy at the moment?
1: Um, that is really easy for me because I just spent uh, a weekend with um, friends, with some other life coaches, and it was lovely. And the thing that I loved the most about it was nature. And that mm. is definitely the thing that's bringing me the most joy right now. I, everybody else thought it was really cold. I'm from Canada. I did not feel like it was really cold. This was not in Canada. And so I went down into the lake, and I just walked through the lake with my feet. And it was early in the morning, and the sun was coming up. And I was like, this is just, I feel like we really discount how important nature is in mm. our journey. And anyway, so yes, long story short, it's nature.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful and it's that slowdown isn't it like the slowdown that nature brings is that what else do you get out of it
1: yeah definitely the slowdown like I read somewhere that like listening to the chirping of birds like actually releases blood like lowers your blood pressure Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know that but I was like yeah like I think it's a way that we regulate and Mm -hmm. I think when our emotions are a little bit higher whatever it can be such a regulating thing for us so I think part of it was like um, the grounding right that came from like being with my feet on the earth and part of it was like the stillness I walked out there and like nobody was there it was just me and it was so still and so beautiful um and just like the air and just simplicity just yeah. everything being just like I think we often think we have such a busy world and it's so easy to get stuck in like the busyness of just like texting and FaceTime and emails and work and all the things um, that just really get us into that busy, busy, busy mode. And when we slow down and we're in nature, like yeah. everything else just kind of floats away. Yeah. And it's just like you in that moment. And yeah, it's just, it's just so good. I'm like, this is so healing. We need to talk about this more. We need to talk about how healing nature mm-hmm. is just inherently.
0: Yeah. Yeah absolutely and encourage each other to get out in there and just Mm -hmm. just be with nature because we're often out Mm -hmm. in nature at some point during a day but we don't slow down in there we just kind of run through it as opposed to go let's smell the roses watch the bees exactly
1: and it's easy to just be like well I don't want to miss the weather or whatever I mean I don't know maybe your weather is always beautiful ours is not (laughs) (laughs) so it is hard to be like do I really want to go out there but I was like you know what I'm just gonna get some snowshoes this year or like cross-country skis and I'm going to get like good winter gear and I'm just going to make myself go outside even when it's freezing cold I mean that's probably not your reality in balmy Australia but
0: (laughs) well not my reality but yeah I have a friend who's in Canada as well um she's closer to Halliburton Forest and she makes sure that she gets out with her girls because she homeschools her girls every day during the winter Mm. Like she said, even if it's just to get out there, we we just go and see what we can do for a couple of minutes and then see how long we can stay, and then we come back in.
1: I also homeschool, and I love that idea. I feel like that would be a great
0: challenge for me.
1: So yeah. tell her thank you. <laughs> I will, I will. <laughs> for vicariously giving me the challenge through you, I love it.
0: Yes. <laughs> awesome. So take us on your journey. Like, where, have you, where did it start? What was unfolding for you? And where have you come to? Just take us takes yeah. on a path.
1: I feel like there's a lot of journeys all simultaneously, like happening at the same time. But one of my, you know, kind of bigger journeys was this relationship that I was um, really, that was really challenging with my son. I had a son who was really difficult. As a, as a toddler, I just thought, oh, he's really easy. Like he's, he just kind of does his own thing, and he just really did. He didn't really play with other kids. He would sit and play on his own by himself. I know that now is like parallel play. He was very good at parallel play. He would just do it for hours. And I kind of just skimmed over. I was like, well, this is good. Like, he's pretty easy. And it, as he got older, it just got more and more difficult. He got more, had more and more sensitivities and just some challenges that came with him. And it really triggered my own parenting. I wasn't great at parenting, I read a lot of parenting books, but didn't feel like I could really incorporate what I was reading. And I really fell in line with loving connection and attachment-based parenting. Some people call it conscious parenting. And I was like, yep, this is it. I love this. Which I think gave me almost a little bit higher of a pedestal for myself than just like maybe if I was okay with just like mediocre parenting or something. And so then I felt even worse that I was like, I'm really not doing this well. And it all kind of came to a head. We'd moved to the other side of Canada. We were living on our own. Away from family, I mean, like with with no other support systems, and I'm sure that that really was hard for him. And I, looking back, can see like, oh, the, there was probably some difficulty for them, him there. Um, but all I just saw was a lot of emotional dysregulation, and it got really intense, and was getting really volatile. And I was like, I don't know, like I I was basically just hit rock bottom. I don't know why we wait till we hit rock bottom to get help sometimes. I think we're just, we are like that way as humans. I do not believe that anymore. But at the time I was like, okay, now I'll get some help. And um, I just had a therapist come over like one time for one hour and give me one book. And even just that was really transformative for me. And I just started realizing like, oh, okay, like maybe he's going to be like this. Like maybe this is him. Like maybe he's not what I call now like neurotypical. Maybe this is something we're going to be dealing with. And um, so it just started to shift my perspective. And what happened after that was really interesting. I started to notice um, my role in that. I think I didn't think I had a role. I was like, oh, no, it's all him. He's the problem. He's reactive. Like, let's go get him fixed because he's the problem. Instead of me being like, oh, I I don't always interact with him in the best way. And like, Mm. I don't always deal with his dysregulation super well. And so it's kind of like he was holding all his dirty laundry and then I would come in and throw my dirty laundry at him and it was just like back and forth, back and forth. Um, so over the course of several months of kind of just like looking inward a little bit more and noticing my part in it and also trying to intentionally spend a little bit more time with him, spend a little bit more time connecting, um, It was a, I think it was January, December January, when I had chatted with this therapist. And a year later, I remember looking back and thinking, Wow, things are going so good. Like he used to, I call them a meltdown, but he used to have meltdowns, you know, once to tw- one, one to two times a day every day. And at that point it was like one to two times a month and much less severe, for much less long. And I thought, well, that's interesting because he's definitely not been changing anything like only I have and it's only been me. And I thought maybe I had a bigger role to play. In this whole thing than I thought. So I'm starting to uncover this and feel like, okay, yeah, maybe there, you know, maybe there's something here. Feeling pretty good about things simultaneously going on a homeschooling journey where we'd been doing this for a while, but again, kind of struggling with like, how do we actually do this? A lot of times homeschool moms can relate to this, but we like bring our kids home to homeschool them. And then we do exactly what they do in public school at home. And like, that does not work. Public school at home is not the same (laughs) as homeschooling. We're like trying to, you know, do it exactly the same way that the classroom was. And anyways, so that was kind of a disaster. So I was reading about educational philosophies and different ways of learning. And one that really resonated with me spoke about inspiring our kids to learn. And it said, we inspire them through us being lifelong learners. And I thought, I did not consider myself a lifelong learner. Like at that time, I wasn't really reading, developing, doing anything on my own. I was just like surviving. And so as I started to feel a little bit better about him and our relationship, and I I should say I have four kids. This was my second. So at the time, I was, you know, I had all these kids at home all day. And then I'm learning more about, you know, this homeschooling learning journey and thinking I should do more things on my own. So I started thinking back onto like, what did bring me joy? Like, what did I enjoy doing? Because I couldn't remember because it had been so long. And so I signed up for like an online ASL class and I, a sign language class. I signed up for like, or I started doing watercolor classes. I did like a weaving class. I did, um, I got a bike and I started biking because I remembered, oh, when I was little, I liked biking and, um. I just—I also remembered that I used to enjoy reading, and that I hadn't read since I had kids and finished my degree and came home. And so I was like, "What books did I like reading?" And I was like, "I liked reading my psychology textbooks because that's what my undergraduate degree was in." So I went and found some, and then I started finding other self-help, and I found Brené Brown, and um, so I just started reading kind of all this stuff and consuming all this stuff, and you know, it was—it was not like a fast journey for me. It was kind of a slow build. And um, fast forward, I decided to go look for my master's program. And I was like, I I really loved learning and things were going really well. And I stumbled upon life coaching while I was like literally researching master's programs. I was like, this one or this one or this one. And someone invited me to an evening of a life coach. I didn't know what a life coach was. I thought it was someone that helped someone like pick out like university classes and like get a career, like a job. Like, I did not know. Um, And so, as i went and listened i was like oh they help people with relationships oh like that's what i want to do like i was only going back so i could do that and i really loved the modality i went to a program called the life coach school and so right away i signed up went to school it happened to just be starting in, a, in within a month or so and um fast forward here i am now <laughs> and having having terminology for what happened before like oh i was able to shift my perspective i was able to change my mindset about that i was able to how to have a better hold on feeling my feelings. I was able to regulate myself, right? And now I can take those tools and use them in a more accelerated way for myself and then also help parents. Because I feel like this is really the key component that was missing from the books and courses I'd been taking for like a decade. Really, it was like over 10 years that I was reading all these books that I loved but couldn't incorporate because they weren't talking about why it's so hard for us. Why is it hard for us as humans to parent in that way? Like we all want to, we like... Sign me up. Like I'll parent that way. But like how as a human being, with all this stuff going on in my brain, do I actually do that? And um so now I've been coaching for a couple of years. I'm a parenting coach and I help people with what I call connection-based parenting.
0: Mm, beautiful. And how old are your yeah. kids like now? So can you give us a sort of benchmark yeah. of that journey? Time yeah, frame. so I
1: have three boys and a girl. <clears throat> my youngest is six, and my oldest is going to be 16 in a couple weeks. And um, The one that I was um, having more challenges with is 13 now and just so good and really well regulated and has been diagnosed with several things at the time. I didn't, I didn't know that. And so has my third. And so my second and my third have been a little bit tough. My fourth, I mean, age five to seven is always a tough year. That's, there's a lot developmentally happening and happening with kids. So my six year old is tough right now, but, but my oldest one and my second one are doing really well right now. And, um, I mean, it's always, there's always little challenges that come up, but I feel so much more able to handle it. I'm so much more intentional. Like Mm. when something happens, I don't just feel like I'm reactive about it. I know how to handle things in an intentional way. And when I don't, I know how to apologize and reconnect and kind of move on from it and not just be stuck in like what I call the shame cycle (laughs) for days, which actually makes us more reactive. So, um, Anyway, so everything everything is going so well, and I just love what I do. I love that I get to help people do this and see them be able to do this and be like, there really is an answer. Yeah. There's an answer to being able to do this because the reason it's so hard is because how we were parented, right? It's like in our programming. We just go back to our programming, and our parents did not parent in this way. They didn't know any better. There was no parenting books telling them this. Like, everything around them was telling them the opposite of this kind of parenting style, so... um. So it's really different, but once you kind of turn inwards and start kind of looking at our role to play and doing a little bit more healing and more intentional work, um, I think it comes a lot more naturally than we Mm. think it does.
0: Mm. And everything that you shared is like originally you were thinking it was your son, I need to fix him, Mm -hmm. the problem Mm -hmm. is outside of myself. But when you came in and started doing the work inside of yourself, that's when the transformation came and that's when the transformation effectively doubled down and kept growing from that point. Is that fair Mm -hmm. to say?
1: Yes. And then changed him. Yes. Like I wanted to change him. And then I had to realize like, oh, wait, it's not him that needs to change. It's me. And then through changing me, it did change him in a much slower way, but way more sustainable and way deeper. Like he's his ability to regulate emotionally is so high for somebody with the diagnosis that he has. I'm like, he's so good at it. At That this age it's almost like wow he has like a superpower and before I was like oh it's all him and it's all you know because we often think that our problems are outside of ourselves because if they're outside of ourselves and they're not in our control and we don't have to do anything about them we can just stay safe and the same and you know comfortable and whatever even though it's really not comfortable but it just lets our brain kind of relax and be like I guess we'll just stay here in this happy (laughs) spot where everything around us is not our fault so it was really taking that responsibility of like I might actually have a role to play in here and not in like a shaming way like you're the reason that your kids are messed up like no of course you're not but also that we have influence in that relationship and that we can really change things if we see the influence that we have. Yeah.
0: And what did the emotional dysregulation look like for him back when it was all in full full swing?
1: In full swing, a lot of yelling, a lot of like throwing things, hitting, punching, you know, just just basically as much emotion as you could emote in whatever way you could. And um, I think it's common for us to see this in like a toddler, right? And a toddler is like, I'm just going to say and do whatever I can, but they don't have as much language. So then when we get to like, you know, they're a little bit older, I don't know how old he was, eight or nine or something, they have a lot more language. So it feels a lot more cutting because they're able to say all that they and they are physically a lot bigger. They can do a lot more damage. Um, so it was, it was pretty big. It was, it would, it was, would get pretty extreme. And I was just like, I don't know like at what point <laughs> you're supposed to really do something about like I don't, I don't know. Like he's not a toddler anymore. This is it was really just like that was like he was who he was two or so and and since then his his doctor had said like yeah a lot of people like this one that are really highly sensitive it's when they're dysregulated their brain it acts about an 18 month old that's about Mm. the when they're when they're feeling that heightened of emotions that's kind of the behavior that you'll see Mm -hmm. so I have a lot of clients that come and like but my kids said they were gonna chop me up or that I was the worst or that they you know didn't love me anymore and I'm like yeah because they're using the language That they, the only language they know how, they're using the biggest language possible to try and describe the immensity of emotion that they're feeling. And they don't know how else to do it. Yeah, It's not, you know, when we just, you know, when I was throwing that dirty laundry back at his dirty laundry, it was like me being like, maybe I am the worst mom. Like, maybe I'm not doing this right. It was really just bringing up my own baggage, really, that I hadn't sorted through yet. Yeah. And so we were just triggering each other. (laughs) back and forth
0: yeah so two questions there one is the what did it look like for you when you were reacting to him and then what could you see that emotional baggage was for you
1: I think it looks like a couple things like now I have a lot more language for it I don't know if I would have described it this way this is coming from like my future self describing my past self in a little compartmentalized way but I think it would be sometimes it was reactive where I would just like yell and freak out and like, no, this isn't okay and this isn't acceptable and this isn't, you know, all of that. Um, probably a lot of shaming language, which what I know now is shame is like, you know better, this isn't like, your sister wouldn't do this or like, you're too old for this, like those kinds of things. Um, and another way, um, I'm, these are the three ways that we respond to shame, by the way, these are the, the shame triggers. So one is like reacting like defensiveness Uh, The second one is shutting down or withdrawing. So sometimes I would do that. Like, I'm just like, I'm going to go, I'm going to shut my door, and I'm just going to go and be by myself and do my thing and shutting down physically or emotionally. And then the third way is people-pleasing, and I was really good at this too. Like, if I knew it was kind of going to come, I'd be like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Oh, yeah, here you go. Like, have all the things, like, just be okay. Like, let's just make it all better because I didn't want to deal with the discomfort that I thought was coming. So probably all those three ways, but my go-to is usually more of the, like, defensive, aggressive, you know, reactionary more than the other two.
0: Yeah. And then when you were like, realized that you were, you know, putting your dirty laundry onto your mm-hmm. son, what were some of the things that you had to work through to then start to heal yourself? What were some of those stories?
1: I really had to close <coughs> my mouth. That was number one. Like, don't let me say anything right now. I call it like not parenting in the fire. it's like right in those moments when you're feeling that, like don't actually say or do anything. Yeah. So first of all, it just took like a lot of self-control to stop saying or doing something in that moment because when you're feeling that way, you really feel like that kind of like self-righteous indignation, like, but you need to know that you're wrong and I am right right now. And it almost feels good once you start like snowballing into that. And so I would just be like, blah, 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 And so I was like, no, no, no literally physically trying to keep my mouth closed or like my body from like saying or reacting anything and so sometimes it was like actually better for me to go into my room and shut the door to go into the bathroom and just like splash my face or do some breathing or whatever I don't think I really know what my stories were in that moment because I wasn't mindful like I didn't know anything about mindfulness at that time so looking back on it, and I'm like, I wonder, what was I thinking? But I'm sure, now that I do this all the time with my clients, I'm like, it was probably about me. It was probably like, he thinks I'm a terrible mom. Am I actually a terrible mom? I'm probably doing a terrible job. Like, I might be ruining him. I might be, instead of healing generational patterns of parenting, I might be adding to them and making it worse. Like, that's probably along the lines of what was happening in my brain at the time. And like, the story is just like, when you get into that shame, they just spin and spin and spin. And so it's the shame starts as defensiveness, as in, like, he's so wrong. I can't believe he would do this. This is all him. This is all blah, blah, blah. But then eventually, you know, dig down into, like, and also I feel pretty terrible about how I'm showing up here too. Um, yeah. So yeah. That, that's that's what it looked like in my mm-hmm. brain.
0: <laughs> and I think it looks like that in a lot of parents' brain, that they they mm-hmm. think that it's about them and, you know, that I am a bad person. And then there's that shaming yeah. aspect that comes into play as well, like, you should know better. You're old enough, yeah. you know, let's choose different language, all of that sort of stuff. So, how did you move into that current conscious parenting space? What was that process looking like for you?
1: Very long and very slow, which is why I'm a parenting coach now, because it yeah. was so long and so slow. I mean, over the course of a year, I was like, oh, things are doing better. Like, I spent a little bit more time with him. I remember thinking I need to feel more connection for him. Like I need to think more about the things that I like about him. I knew that I was really, my brain was kind of pointing out all the things I didn't like. Those were a lot. So I really tried to intentionally be like, oh, he's really good at this. Or I really like this part about him. Or I, and I'm just spending a little bit more time with just him and me and having fun. Um, so it was, it was pretty, it was intentional, but there wasn't a lot of, like, mindset work that I was doing because I had no idea what that was. Um, but it was still happening. But it was happening really slowly. Um, so we were over living on that side of the country for two years. It was pretty shortly after that, that I started this work, after we moved over there that I started this work. Um, I mean, and work, I mean, like, in myself changing kind of thing. And then we moved back here. And that same year that I signed up for coaching certification, I kind of thought like, oh, I have it now. Like things are good. Um, But as I started to learn about mindfulness, I was like, whoa, I've just barely, like I was like, oh, there's a tiny little iceberg. Oh, no, wait, there's a giant iceberg underneath the surface. And so, and actually when I started coaching, I did not coach on parenting. I like had like a small little program that I did, but I did a bunch of other things and I kind of just helped people on whatever they needed help with. And um, we use a lot of similar tools that a therapist might use, but I'm kind of working with people that are just, they're doing okay, but they want to do better than what Mm -hmm. they're doing. Like things are going all right, but they want to, you know, be more thriving. And so I felt pretty good with just coaching on all all the things. I felt like I had some really good tools and really good support that I could give them. while I was kind of simultaneously still really intentionally healing my parenting because that's when I really started to be mindful and to notice like, oh, I have a lot of thoughts about parenting still and about him still. And so I would sit down on the couch. And I remember this one time he'd, I don't know, hit his brother or something. And I was sitting down talking to him about it. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm looking into the eyes. I'm connecting with him. I'm doing all the things it says in the book. But inside I was actually thinking, you know better than this. Like you should not have done this. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him thinking, I'm doing all the right things. I'm breathing calmly. I'm like listening to his side of the story. And it was not working. He was so defensive. And he was just like pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. Like there. And I was like, why is this not working? <laughs> mm-hmm. And later I was thinking about it and I was like, he can sense that energy. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm doing all the right things. If he knows that I'm feeling this energy of like, you're wrong, like he feels that. And this is not connection and this is not working. And so it actually took me about a year, like from when I certified to when I really felt comfortable in my parenting. And by comfortable, I mean like not triggered anymore by my kids. And like I'd really done a lot of work. And that was like a year of, of pretty intense, like looking inwards. Um, you know, now that I knew these tools, I could use them more regularly on myself. And learning more about emotions because that was something that we didn't really dig into in certification we did a little bit but not a lot and when I started doing that work on my own I was like oh there's a lot here mm-hmm. and so I started really getting into emotions and how do we process emotions and what is shame and what does that look like and um, how do I help somebody that doesn't know how to regulate themselves learn emotional regulation and how do we help our kids regulate and it was just like just a whole snowball of everything and so um I would say, yeah, I would say the journey was about three years long, <laughs> um, but it's fabulous now, everything's everything's great now, and I um, feel like I have a lot more tools to help people now, I'm like, okay, now I know the words to do it, and how to do it, and how to help people in a little bit more of an accelerated way, so we don't have to be coaching together for three years, fortunately, yeah. not that I don't love that, but also, you know, yeah. we've condensed into about a 14-week thing instead of a three-year thing, um, and yeah, it's just, it's interesting that it, I think I had to have it take that long. And I think I had to have so many challenges in it because I can just 100% relate to my clients, 110%. When yeah. I have clients come with kids with ADHD or high functioning autism or ODD or DMDD, all the things I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, my mm-hmm. kids have said that too. Oh, Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I I know that is like and I can I can feel it. Like I can feel the hardness there. Mm. And I can feel how heavy it what it is. And um if I was if it was just easy for me, I don't think it would be. Like if someone was like, Oh, parenting and I was like, Oh, that's easy. Let me tell you all let me tell you what you should do. You know, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't land. So I think it's one of those, you know, little like divine blessings where you're like, you don't want it to happen, but then you're like, it actually was like I I love that I'm able to help people in the way that I am. And I am because it was so challenging and took so long and was so hard. Yeah. <laughs> but, but now I but now I can.
0: And you kept showing up for it. That's one of the yeah. amazing things. And, and I, I think you would see that with the clients that you work with as well. They keep showing up even yeah. though it's hard. And even if they're not your clients, there's so many parents out there that are dealing with this or mm-hmm. working their way through it. And they keep showing up every day. That, even though that you know there are days where you don't want to be there.
1: Yeah. I honestly don't know. Like, I'm sure maybe there is a harder thing in life, but I think like in general, the thing that everybody goes through that is the hardest would be like parenting. I mean, not, not everyone goes through it, but the people that are parents, like it's just the most challenging and mm-hmm. like the most personal growth possible. Also, I think anything that's like really challenging also has just the same potential to have the most personal growth. Yeah. And, um, for me, that's been true. I feel like for my clients, that's been true. Like, it's just, it's just a hard thing. To live Mm -hmm. with another person, especially another, you know, little human that's growing and learning and says whatever comes out of their mouth and probably doesn't like anything you feed them and doesn't (laughs) want to go to bed at night and doesn't, (laughs) turns into a teenager who wants their phone Mm -hmm. all the time or wants to go out with their friends. Like there's just a lot. There's a, there's a lot that comes with parenting. And, um, I love that, that I get to support people in that. But I love even more that like I actually enjoy it now. I think before I would have been like, when someone was like, I enjoy being a mom, I was secretly like, you really <laughs> it's not actually possible and now I'm like oh it it is you can you can enjoy parenting you can yeah. enjoy motherhood and simultaneously I can also enjoy like being by myself and doing my own thing and following my own pursuits and they can all be things that I enjoy
0: all at mm. the same time yeah absolutely so can you walk us through the shame component and how parents can fall into those sorts of traps you talked about the three aspects of shame, all the the shaming behaviors, but how does it really impact a parent effectively when they're in the middle of all of this?
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating. Shame is my favorite topic now. I tell people I'm a parenting coach. I'm really not. I'm just a shame coach. Don't tell because that doesn't sound as good, (laughs) (laughs) but it really is. I feel like it's just this thing that we all deal with It came from experiences while we were developing our own self-concept, right? So in our formative years, we're developing and we're trying to understand ourselves and the world around us and who we are and who other people are in relation to us. And when we have experiences like we do something quote-unquote wrong, we're taught that it's like a misbehavior, right? We're like, we maybe we're given a timeout if our parents were really kind. If not, maybe they used a belt on us. Maybe we were spanked. Maybe we were you know, punished in some other way or grounded or whatever. And in those moments, it wasn't misbehavior. It was us doing our best, but maybe not knowing better, maybe not having a skill at that time. Maybe there was something that was kind of lacking there. But because it was like, this is wrong, and now I'm going to teach you that it's wrong through punishing you, which I don't know why we ever decided that that made sense. But I mean, even saying it out loud, I'm like, that literally makes zero sense. But we're like, here, we'll punish you because of the punishment. that like, anyways. So because we weren't interacted with in that way, we have a lot of beliefs that we have to dig through. One is big emotions are not okay. They're not safe. They're not acceptable. I need to push them down. Another one was um, uh, children should be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. Or children should respect their elders. Um, Or something along the lines of um, even just the idea of misbehavior. Like what misbehavior is and that I'm like choosing intentionally to be bad. Like Mm -hmm. there's a good way to be and there's a bad way to be and I'm choosing that way. Um, Also this idea of like that I'm in charge of other people's thoughts and feelings. You know, you hurt your sister's feelings or you're making me mad. Don't make me mad. And we really felt like we had to tiptoe around people because we're like, oh no, Mm -hmm. like I'm the one making them feel this way, making them think this way, making them act this way. I'm sure there's loads more, but there's lots of those kind of things. And even though logically we're like, I don't really ascribe to that anymore. Like that's not really part of me anymore. It's one thing to think that logically and like cerebrally, but it's a whole nother thing for your body to unbelieve it, for it to like not be part of you and your soul and your energy and your, you know, soma, like whatever you want to call it. Like it's in you. And so when your child, you tell them to, you know, maybe they come home from school and they dump all their stuff on the ground. This is one that I coach on a lot. This happens. <laughs> but then you're like, no, there's a basket here. There's a hook here. I've told you every day. They keep coming home. They keep doing it. You keep, you know, you yell at them, can you come over here? Clean up your stuff. Come over here. They're ignoring you, right? All of a sudden you just explode and you feel so reactive, and either. Not everybody explodes, right? It's one of those three ways that I said, shut down and withdraw is one. People pleasing is one. Or um, or more aggressive, like defensive type blame behaviors. And then that comes because of what I call a trigger. We have that strong emotional charge. The trigger isn't like, he's not listening to me. Or like, he's so annoying or he's so frustrated. That is like the dandelion above the ground that we see. But what we don't see is like the root below it. The root below it is like, What am I thinking about me in this situation? What am I making it mean about us and our relationship and about him and about my parenting? So if he's not listening, what about that behavior bothers me? And when we start to dig down deeper layers, we're like, well, he should listen. Okay, well, why should he listen? Like, I have a hard time sometimes listening to people. It might even be that he was just like distracted doing something else, had his AirPods in, whatever. (laughs) Like, what about that actually bothered me? And then what about the not listening bothers me? And sometimes it comes down to something along the lines of, like, well, good parents have children that listen to them. Kids should respect their elders. Kids should listen the first time that somebody tells them something. And if this paradigm isn't happening, then maybe that means that I'm doing something wrong, that I'm not a, quote, unquote, good parent, that I should be bored. that I'm not enough. Like and that is shame speaking. So it's not just like the dandelion, we, we can just keep pulling the dandelions out and you know, talking about all the times our kids don't listen or we can be like, why does that bother me so much? And when we can really dig into that, that's when the changes really happen. When we're like, let's take the root out there and um, just uncover all the things, yeah. all of those, you know, those beliefs that were kind of just passed down to us that we still have in us, even if we don't think we do.
0: Yeah. And it's like, I've got this visual of pulling the dandelion out. But we're not blowing the top of it, right, just, you know, beautiful Mm -hmm. and spreading it through the world. We're actually pulling out the root of it and going, Mm -hmm. I need to look at this and Mm -hmm. I need to continue to look at it. Like it's not just pulling out one and I'm done. Mm -hmm. It's these situations are going to come up more regularly and I need to really get down to the why is this triggering me, not Mm -hmm. why is my son doing this and what do I think he should be doing, but coming back into those deeper stories.
1: And, it, and that it lessens, right? The mm. intensity that you feel then lessens, right? right? Like the dandelion might come back, but you're like, you're going to have less dandelions in your lawn. And each time you do this work, you're going to have less and less and yeah. less. Do I think you ever get rid of dandelions? No, I call it shame resiliency. It's like, no, it'll pop up in another area of your business. I really don't feel shame pretty much ever in my parenting anymore. I don't feel triggered. And so... I don't yell anymore, which is bizarre. I used to really feel like I would always just going to be, was going to be a yeller forever, (laughs) but it just doesn't happen. And not because I'm trying to like stop myself from doing it, but because I just like don't feel that way. Like I don't feel reactive anymore, but um, shame comes up in other areas now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, now it'll be like in friendships or it'll be like around food or it'll be around, I don't know, business or whatever. Like there's I think it's just one of those things. Like we're always going to have dandelions, right? You like buy all the weed killers that you can and they always come back. But it won't be as intense. It won't be as strong. It won't feel like it just totally takes you over. And I feel like you're more prepared to deal with it once you really start to be intentional. And when I say intentional and mindful, I mean like what are the stories happening in my head? What are the thoughts that I'm having? How am I feeling? Taking emotional responsibility for like my energy. Mm. my thoughts, my mm. stories, my emotions, and uncovering what those are.
0: Yeah. And once you uncover what those are and you can see them, and perhaps you're in the middle of a situation where your child is having one of their events mm-hmm. and you're, you can, you're not talking, but you can see all mm-hmm. the thoughts coming through, mm-hmm. what do you do in that situation? Where do you go?
1: Yeah, so I believe that we teach, um, well, I don't Not just me. I mean, there's research done on this. It's not just I that believe this. I should qualify that. But um, emotional regulation is what we're talking about. And emotional regulation is taught through co-regulation. Co-regulation doesn't mean I sit down with my kid and I'm like, let's breathe through this. Let's do a grounding exercise. Let me teach you all these things. That will not work when they're in their red zone. Like, when they're at their most intense emotions, there's no logic. There's no me talking them through that. Like, they have just flipped their lid. (laughs) So co-regulation looks like my ability to regulate myself so that then they can um, regulate themselves. It's like I can hold space for that. So in that moment when I'm feeling that way, and I notice all the thoughts, and I feel all the feels, I try not to focus on my thoughts. Mm. I actually try to go into my body. I might put my hand on my heart. I might do some breathing I might just look into, inwards and think, I, what am I feeling right now? I might have a little bit of awareness around my thinking too, but it's more in my body. So this just happened actually. We're at this big store. I don't know if you guys have Costco in Australia, but Costco is mm-hmm. like a thing here. Yeah, we have <laughs> it. love it. Yeah. Giant people everywhere, right? Everyone's shopping. And my daughter wanted breakfast sausages and I wouldn't buy them for her. I was like, nope, we're done. We already have the things. And she's just like, like she was probably hungry, really looking back on it. I'm like, it was right around dinner time. Like it had been a while, I was pushing it. She was probably a little tired. We'd already had a long day. She just lost it. And I started to feel all the things that we feel like. Our brain wants to match emotion. Our brain wants to go to that. Not wants to, but does. Like our brain initially does go to that more intense emotional state also. And I noticed like, like, kind of what am I thinking here? Like, I can do this. I'm a parenting coach. I'm like talking myself through this process that I would talk my clients through. And I'm like, what am I thinking? And I noticed all of my thoughts were about the other people in the store. It wasn't even about her and her reaction and her intensity. It was like, what are people thinking about me? Like, what are they? Like, they probably think we're crazy. They probably just want her to leave. They probably feel like she's so disruptive. Like, it was so much about them. And I was like, whoa. Like that, there's a lot there. So I would just kind of went into my body and I was like, I'm just going to take some deep breaths and I'm just going to keep, you know, saying this. Yep, yeah, we're not getting, that. I know you really want it. I know you're so mad. I, yeah, I get that, right? Or even not even talking at all. Just like holding, you know, putting my hand on my chest, taking some deep breaths and allowing myself to feel what am I feeling inside? What are my emotions like right now? And how can I bring myself down to a place of calm regardless of what's happening with her or with you know with your child and that's hard to do but mm. it's practicing that over and over and over and over again that allows them to to have the emotion like we want them to feel like it's totally fine for them to have the emotion i'm not saying that like yeah it's okay you can have the breakfast sausages i'm also not saying it's okay for you to like punch and hit and like mm. call names but, like, I can say that from a p- place of calm. I can be like, I know you're really mad, but that we still can't get them. And also, like, we can't hit people even when we're feeling mad. I know you how you feel. Like, I want to punch and hit and kick when I'm mad. Like, that's how I feel. Yeah. But, like, we still can't because this is my body. That's your body. Like, we we just can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so, and even though they might not logically get it in that moment, like, it's just the calmness that mm-hmm. they're going to hear, really. It's not the words that they're going to hear. Mm-hmm. And if we can maintain that energy, we like we, as, as, as humans, I think we speak through emotions. I think we speak through emotions more than anything else. And so if we're noticing, like, what is my emotion saying right now? What am I saying to her through the emotion that I'm emoting right yeah. now? And how can I kind of bring myself to a place of calm? It doesn't mean that it's easy, and it also doesn't mean that it's quick. This was probably, it was definitely over an hour that I was dealing with this. It was not. It was not a quick thing. And sometimes it's like two. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's quicker. But um, it is just my ability to stay present with myself
0: in yeah. the moment. And when you can do that, then it creates a safe space for your daughter and your son or whoever's in front of you to be able to stay with their emotions. And mm-hmm. it's that example. It's an, I'm going to say it's the example that you set, but they may not even be aware of that. They just know that it's safe for them to have that emotion. And yeah. there are other ways that you can deal with it because mom's showing me that there are.
1: Yeah, and you're, it is example in that you're role modeling the proper behavior. Like mm-hmm. you're not punching or hitting or yelling or calling names, right? Which is why I think it's so funny that we used to like do that to our kids to try and teach them not to. Like, don't yell at me. Don't yell at people as we're yelling or like, don't hit people. I'm going to spank you to tell you, mm-hmm. teach you not to hit people. Anyways, we, they're learning from who we are, right? So that is, they are learning that example. But even more than that, They're feeling validated. They're feeling accepted. They're feeling held. They're feeling heard. That is the definition of connection. And that's what they need in that Mm. moment. Because it's really hard for them. They're really feeling that separation emotionally. So even afterwards, going back to them and taking time to reconnect, you know, once, once they've kind of diffused again. Maybe it's that they just want to be on their own. Maybe they're just in their room by themselves doing their own thing. Taking time after that to reconnect is really important beautiful well
0: I think that's a great way to sort of wrap up before we get into the sort of final questions is there anything else that you wanted to add
1: no you had great questions I think that was all that was all so good
0: (laughs) thank you well I'm a massive believer in self-love and that's been a cornerstone to my journey so I'd love to know what's one thing that you do for self-love
1: yeah I 100% agree And I'm going to switch the terminology a little bit from self-love to like self-compassion because I think self-compassion is part of self-love. And self-compassion is the antidote to shame. Mm -hmm. So that looks like, now I notice my shame. I notice what's happening with me. How can I give myself what I need in this moment? Not just my child. But if my brain's like, you're a terrible mom and look what all the people are thinking and all of those things. How can I hold myself in that moment? How can I feel like, it's okay. Like, it's okay that this is happening. This is not about you. Like, you're doing a great job. I love you, right? All the things that we would want somebody to say to us in the moment, all the things that we probably needed when we were younger and we were uh, feeling that yeah. depth of emotion, yeah. that if we can give ourselves that now, that mm-hmm. that's what's the most healing. So when I notice my brain start to spin out, for me, it looks more like emotion than it does thought. Like, my brain starts to spin out, and I might notice it in my thoughts but then I'm like, what do I need right now? Yeah. And it usually is just putting my hand on my heart, taking some deep breaths, just feeling that feeling of self-compassion and feeling a feeling of like a warm hug kind of wrapping around me or of like light first, you know, spreading all over me or something like that. The first morning light kind of spreading out and warming me or um, just somebody there just being there just to hold me while I cry or to hold me where I'm like, this is, this is hard, this is heavy. And it's like, it's okay. This is hard. That's one thing I think we don't tell people enough. Parenting is hard. I'm like, did you, did nobody say that? Like, were we not told this? Did we think it was just going to be easy? Because it is so hard and you're doing such a good job. And if we just told ourselves that over and over and over again, and if we just believed that and if we really felt into that, we would be better parents. We (laughs) would yell less, we would be more kind. We would take more, better care of ourselves. Yeah. I just think self-compassion is just the answer to all of it.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. And you've given us so much amazing information in our chat today. So if myself and the listeners were to take one thing away, implement it in our own lives in service of you, what would that be?
1: To love yourself. (laughs) To really, and when I say that, I know it's easy to hear that and just be like, okay, I'll just love myself. I'll just go stand in front of a mirror and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And you're like, this isn't working. I'm not feeling more love. I think it's more in our body. I think it's more like a feeling. So I like to think back on like a time when maybe I did feel a lot of that love. Like Mm -hmm. there's probably at least one time in your life where you can feel that strong of an energy. And I try to bring that back up into my mind. Okay, how did that, how did that feel? What was happening? Who was there? And then I kind of just let the situation slide out of my head and I just hard try to hold on to the feeling in my body. How mm-hmm. does this feel? It feels really open, it feels expansive, it feels light, it mm-hmm. feels clear, it feels like a warm hug. And then I try to amplify that feeling. So I'm like, okay, this feeling of love or compassion or acceptance or peace, whatever that is, just really accentuating that in my body. And as often as I can do that throughout the day, it'll be a lot easier for me to feel that feeling of love. I believe in this concept called causal coaching, which is like think-feel-do. The way that I think creates how I feel and fuels what I do. It's based in cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, not just I. But there's lots of people that say that that's the way our brains work. Um, so thinking about that, we can th- try to think thoughts that lead to these feelings, right? But I just think because we're emotional beings... I think it sometimes is, especially when we're feeling those more deep, you know, deep sadnesses, deep grief or shame or whatever, those more big emotions. I think it's helpful just to go right into our bodies and be like, what would that feel like? What would it feel like for me to feel love right now? For me, Mm. compassion right now, for me. So um, also I'll add a part B to go outside. (laughs) (coughs) Because I think that that's where we get that, right? When I was standing in the lake and the water was like waving, over top of me and I felt my feet in the sand and I looked at the beautiful sun and it was so still Mm. it's easier to feel that it's it's just a lot
0: easier to feel that than if I'm just like at home scrolling
1: social media or
0: something (laughs) right yes which isn't going to lead to feelings of you know greatness effectively or love and you know why you're scrolling on social media but it's like you've just given us all a tool like go out into nature Feel, be in nature, be present with nature, and then that can help you regulate those feelings within your body because we can feel emotions on purpose too. Like emotions don't just happen, well, they can just happen to us, Mm -hmm. but they can also be something that we cultivate within us and choose to feel on purpose and we can bring them in, we can play around with them, we can look at them, how they show up in our body so that, for example, anxiety, when anxiety comes in for me, it's like coming up through my feet and it's like running up through my body Um, and then there's this heat that comes up as well and so I can be standing in a conversation with someone and can go oh there's the anxiety why is that coming in and I can start to have a look at the thoughts that are coming up around that as well but I notice the anxiety first before I actually notice the thoughts so giving people those sorts of tools can be really powerful
1: I think we can. I think we often can feel the feelings more. Like, okay, Mm. no, I feel this. Like, this is what's happening for me. And I loved what you said about, like, we can choose to feel those feelings intentionally. We can figure out how to do that. And I almost think that might be easier than positive affirmations. Like, I think not easier as in, but like a more direct, a more direct shift than just trying to say the things over and over and over again. Not that you don't want to do that. It's still, it can still be helpful. But I think that that we really do we speak we speak through emotions we feel that's just we're emotional creatures and i think that when we um can spend time just really feeling those feelings more and specifically directing that feeling to us Mm -hmm. that light that love that peace that compassion towards us yeah um it can be so healing because another one of those limiting beliefs that we brought from childhood is usually that like when we're good, then we can feel good about ourselves. When we do good, when we get stuff done, when we're productive, then we can feel good about us and who we are. And that's really muddy. That can get, that can get really tough. When you get a lot done, you can feel pretty good about yourself. When your kids are doing well, you can feel pretty good about yourself. But when your kids are not, or you're not getting much done or, you know, spinning in overwhelm, you can feel pretty terrible about yourself. So, so those two things are separated. My worth, my value has nothing to do with what I do, what I don't do, what I have done, what I'm going to do. It's just innate. It's just there. I'm just 100% lovable how I am and who I am. And so just trying to turn that love and turn that emotion, turn that energy inwards Mm -hmm. um, is actually the thing that helps us feel it more for others. Mm -hmm. So the more we feel because what we really want to feel for our kids is compassion, right? That's kind of like the overarching goal, like connection and compassion we will feel that more just naturally when we first feel connection and compassion for us. So taking those moments to really turn inward and to feel those emotions and to really evoke them in our body will help us to naturally just flow it out everywhere to everyone else, including our kids.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. You're speaking my language. Like it's just amazing. Thank you so much. So where can everybody find you? And at the beginning of the podcast, you told us what you're doing, but just come back and remind us of yeah, exactly what you're doing. I
1: will, for yeah. sure. So um, I have a podcast called the Parenting Coach Podcast with Crystal. So come find me over there. I love it. I'm on Instagram at the.parenting.coach. Um, my website is coachcrystal.ca because I'm in Canada. <laughs> um, and I have a program called Parent School. So I work with people Um in small groups or a really small little intimate group or one-on-one and it's uh, through the same program called parent school and I will be opening it in a few months I open it a couple times a year and it's just all of these things people think they're coming for parenting help and I'm really like let's talk about you let's turn inwards and they're like wait a second I thought you were gonna fix my kids <laughs> so no I'm not I'm not fixing your kids but don't worry it, it will work too it will get better for them um, but we just do a lot of um, intuition work, emotion work, healing work, shame work, um, uncovering our, our beliefs that have been passed down to us for generations um, and healing those and changing those and really just all through self-compassion. So, I mean, you don't have to join. You can just go do the self-compassion exercises for yourself and you will see the difference. <laughs> but if you want to join us, you're welcome to join us. Um, reach out to me on Instagram.
0: Yeah, and it's always good to do it in a community because then you've got like-minded people who are having the same sort of challenges you are. And often there can be times where you can't actually see the stories that are coming up for you, but when you hear them from someone else, you're going to go, "Oh, maybe that's mine too," and then you can play around. You also
1: are so much more compassionate for the other people in the group than you are for yourself. Yes. They come with something with their kid, and they're just like, oh, you are, you're doing a great job. And like, of course you handle it that way. And like, you're, you know, I'm like, okay, now take all of the words that came out of your mouth, and we're going to say them again to yourself. And yes. they're like, but it's not true for me. <laughs> so I love groups. I think it's great. I I love to keep them small and intimate and for us to really get to know each other and be that support for each other. And like you said, like, Sometimes we can't dig into what's happening in our brain but when we see it outside of ourselves we're like oh yeah. yeah we think that we're the only ones that are like having these unique thoughts and challenges that you know nobody else is having but but um we're humans with human brains and our human brains are actually pretty similar.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for everything today, Crystal. It's been amazing. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Cause you are transforming lives. It's really beautiful. And it's beautiful to hear how you've done that through your own journey. Um, and how amazing your kids are now and the opportunities that they have now because of the work that you've done. So thank you so much.
1: It is a beautiful journey. I just have to say it's, I, lo- I love it. It's yeah. so good. And I, and just thank you for having me and thank you for the work that you put in the world. And like, I just think that all our, all these little light keepers that are just spreading light and love everywhere and, and healing. And it's just so good.
0: Thank you for joining me today. And I have a couple of small favors to ask. If you love this episode, please share it with someone you love and you know, the episode will resonate with. Also to help spread the word about my podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. I love hearing your thoughts about my podcast and what's resonating with you. Plus, it helps us share my podcast with the rest of the world, which is amazing. Finally, thank you so much for being here. I'm super grateful for you and I'm truly honored you've spent your time with me. Let's keep rising. Let's keep growing because it's totally possible to live a life you love every day, right where you are. See you in the next episode.